Well, I want to thank Pastor McGowan and the elders of this congregation for permitting me to come tonight and be a part of your church's life on this happy occasion. I also want to um, thank uh, the choir. Uh, they've left the stage, but thank the choir for their soul-stirring music. Oh, what a blessing in the Lord. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy, the uh, uh, second chapter, and I'll begin reading in verse, uh, at verse 23. In this passage, Paul's a dying man. He's in a Roman prison. He knows that he won't live much longer. Uh, he knows that he'll die by execution. These are the words of a dying man. And tonight I'm asking you to listen to the words of a dying man. Before I read God's word, let us pray. Most holy Father, you love us. You love us so much you sent Jesus to die for us. And you've not left us ignorant of the plan of salvation and the way of life that pleases you. But you've given us your word. May we receive it with gratitude tonight. We ask that as we receive it, that your spirit might give us understanding, that we might believe all the great truths that are laid up in it for our lives. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a, a young minister, I was pastoring outside of Boston, and one of the members of my congregation, Gwen Walters, was the preaching professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. Well, he, uh, he was diagnosed uh, with cancer that would prove to be terminal. He chose to uh, leave his position at Gordon-Conwell. He asked me to come meet with him. And he said to me, uh, Charlie, uh, I would like uh, to invest my time, the time that's left for me, in assisting you uh, in your growth as a preacher. And for the next 18 months, until he died, on every Thursday morning from 9 to 12, he met with me for three hours to talk about preaching and a whole lot more. And all the time as I sat there, I knew that I was listening to a man who was dying. Now, all the trivial discussion was placed to one side. The distracting cares, uh, they were uh, put to one side also. And we focused on things that were of eternal significance. Paul knows that he's about to die, and he's alone in prison. And he wants Timothy to have in his heart and mind those things that he's going to have to have if he's going to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's urgency in this letter. Uh, Paul's all alone. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia, Tychicus has gone to Ephesus, and, and Demas had fallen in love with the world and left Paul alone. And Paul plaintively says to, uh, to Timothy, if at all possible, come before winter. But if he doesn't come, Paul has given him this letter so that he might know how to conduct himself as a man of God and as a servant of the Lord. And on this evening, as you ordain and install new servants in the church of Jesus Christ, I want you to listen to this dying man. Uh, he writes to the Lord's servants 
uh, to the Lord's servant Timothy and to you, his servants here at Redeemer Church. And I want you to listen to this dying man as he talks to him about three truths of our service to the Lord. And the first thing that I want you to hear him talk about is the servant's Lord. Uh, we are, uh, uh, we are the, uh, the servants of the Lord, but all of us need to understand we're not our own. Uh, we don't belong to the church. Uh, we belong to Jesus Christ, and our eyes must be fixed upon him. Uh, look at verse uh, 24. Uh, uh, there the Apostle Paul uh, says uh, to Timothy uh, that the uh, servant, Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Look at that title, the Lord's servant. Think about it. Uh, you've heard that word before. If you have an ear for scripture, you have heard that word, the Lord's servant. It carries you back to the Old Testament. It carries you back to the prophet Isaiah. And there he talked about the coming servant of the Lord, who with his word would sustain the weary. A bruised reed he would not break, a, dim, a faintly burning wick he would not quench. You know that servant. You remember Isaiah talked about him. He gave his back to those who beat him and his cheeks to those who pulled out his beard. And he did not hide his face from spinning. That's the Lord's, the Lord's servant. He is focused on this great servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord par excellence. Uh, he was the servant uh, who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He carried our sorrows. He was stricken. He was smitten and he was afflicted. We who are servants of the Lord need to have our eyes focused upon the servant of the Lord par excellence, and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, deacons and elders, as you're ordained and installed tonight, you must take your cues from him, the one who suffered for our salvation, the one who suffered for righteousness' sake. Christian ministry is nothing less than the calling to share in the sufferings of Christ. You remember that great passage in Philippians 3. I, I, I can almost uh, picture it as a revival service, you that grew up as I did in revival traditions. I can uh, picture Paul the preacher shouting out to the congregation, I want to know Christ. And they cry back, amen. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And they cry back, amen. And I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. And silence. But Christ has called you for the salvation of men and women to enter into the fellowship of his suffering. The Lord's servant, he is our pattern. He is our model. Our lives Deacons and elders must be conformed to him. Oh, won't you listen to Paul as he speaks? He's a dying man speaking to his, the beloved servant of the Lord, Timothy. And he's speaking to you, the servants of the Lord here at Redeemer Church. Won't you listen to the words of a dying man? Listen to him as he talks about the servant's Lord. 
And next, listen to him as he talks about the servant's lifestyle. Go with me to verse 23. Uh, The Apostle Paul says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that breed quarrels. Times haven't changed. People say sometimes, I want to live in the New Testament era. I want to go back to New Testament times. Well, you're in them. We quarrel about the most trivial things, the most unedifying things. Nothing has changed. Nor has God's word to us changed either. What does he say? Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Elders and deacons, as you're put into your office this night, you must not be quarrelsome. One of my ministerial heroes is a man by the name of Charles Simeon. Uh, He was an Anglican minister. He pastored at Trinity Cambridge Church from 1782 in Cambridge, England from 1782 to 1536. Uh, That's a 54-year ministry. And I want to make a rather sweeping claim. The largest evangelical and reformed denomination in the world is the Anglican Church. Uh, Disregard the Church of England and the Episcopal Church that have lost their evangelical roots. Uh, But in most of the rest of the world, they are reformed and they are evangelical. And from a human standpoint, I believe we owe that to Charles Simeon. Uh, When he was 22 years old, he became the pastor of Holy Trinity Church. And he was a hot tempered young man and a newly converted evangelical and he was placed in a congregation that hated evangelicalism and you know in those days you had to rent your pews and so the pew holders there were so disgusted with Charles Simeon that they locked the doors to their pews so that no one could come into the congregation and sit there So people stood around in the aisles to hear Charles Simeon preach. You didn't sit under his preaching, you stood under his preaching. And so many people were coming that the wardens of the church were disgusted. They wanted this evangelical nonsense stopped. So they locked the doors to the church. And Simeon stood outside and he preached the gospel to ever-increasing numbers of people. Now, this is a recipe for disaster. You've got a hot-tempered young minister who's a passionate evangelical, and you've got a congregation that detests him and hates evangelicalism. Now, what did Charles Simeon choose to do? He could have stopped this nonsense by going to ecclesiastical court, but instead he did what we would call making a verse of the Bible his life verse. And he made uh, 2 Timothy 2.24 his life verse. It reads in the... King James Bible, the servant of the Lord must not strive. The servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. And he chose, instead of retaliating, standing on his rights, he chose to love those people, to visit them, uh, to take uh, care of them as best he could. 
And over the next seven years of his ministry, he won that congregation to the evangelical faith. And then over the remaining years of his ministry, over 1,100 evangelical missionaries and ministers were raised up out of that congregation. He changed the face of the English-speaking world because he chose not to strive. He chose not to quarrel. He made his lifestyle one of peace and edification. And one of those people that were converted, I want you to remember his name, was the famous missionary Henry Martin. We'll come back to him momentarily. Now I want you to focus on four features of the servant's lifestyle, the servant who's chosen not to quarrel. I hope that elders and deacons all the members of this congregation will adopt this lifestyle and make it your own. Uh, let's look at them. Look at verse 24. It says uh, that uh, the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. In every circumstance in which he finds himself, the true servant of the Lord is kind to men and women. It might be a volatile situation. The circumstances might be harsh. Uh, you might be attacked. But what's your duty as a Christian? Your duty is to respond with kindness. Kindness in every situation. And we need to hear that. Uh, when we're tempted uh, uh, to speak harshly face to face to our brothers and sisters, we need to remember that. When we're tempted to weaponize our Facebook page or our Twitter feed, we need to remember that the servant of the Lord is kind. And when men and women are hostile to us for our Christian faith, we need to remember that it is our principal duty as we stand before them uh, to be kind, kind in every circumstance. Uh, go with me uh, again uh, to the scriptures. Look again at verse 24. Uh, the Lord's servant is not only to be kind to everyone, he's to be able to teach. And Paul here just doesn't mean natural teaching ability. That's important. But he's talking about the moral authority of the teacher. A harsh man drives people away. He pushes them away. A kind person brings them in uh, to the uh, fellowship of the church of Jesus Christ and treats them and pleads with them to live their lives in a holy way before God. The harsh man pushes people away, and when he does that, he sacrifices his moral authority. That moral authority resides in the Lord's servant who is kind to everyone. Won't you be kind to everyone? As you uh, think uh, in your mind tonight, as you make that 360-degree sweep, are there people that you've been harsh to, that you've spoken to in an insulting way, uh, that you've treated them with contempt? Well, now's the time uh, to repent of that and resolve to be kind to them, and especially you elders and deacons, to be kind to them so that you'll have the moral authority that you need to teach and proclaim the word of God. Then we're told another, a third aspect of the servant's lifestyle. He must be kind to everyone, able to teach, but going back to verse 24 again, patiently enduring evil. Here's the truth that we must never forget. Uh, you can uh, stand on your rights if you want to. You can do that. 
Uh, you can say, I, I demand to have my way, my rights. You can do that. Or you can minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you can't do both of those things at the same time. You can't minister the gospel while you're demanding your personal rights. Ministry is uncomfortable. And I know that you elders and deacons in training have learned that ministry is uncomfortable. It's unpredictable. That's why uh, Paul tells Timothy at another place in this uh, letter uh, to uh, preach the word in season and out of season. There are going to be times when the word is preached and it's popular. And there are going to be times when it's preached and it's opposed by people with all their might. It doesn't matter. You're always to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, patiently enduring evil. Why is that? Because when you look at the men and women that are seeking to provoke you, those may well be your future brothers and sisters in Christ. I've seen people that I know uh, that have opposed my ministry, uh, that have resisted me sharing the gospel with them, they have, by God's grace, become my brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't want to drive them away. You want to patiently endure evil that the grace of the gospel might go to them. The servant's lifestyle is to be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Then go on to verse 25. It says, correcting his opponents with gentleness. You know, as people throw evil at you and you respond with grace and kindness and poise you obtain a hearing for the Christian gospel in 1900 in China uh, there was an event called the Boxer Rebellion and it was a tragedy for missionaries working in China during that rebellion, 188 missionaries and their children were killed by the boxers. 91 of those people were members, missionaries of China Inland Mission. Their leader, you probably have heard his name before, Hudson Taylor. Uh, Hudson Taylor was a man that believed in the sovereignty of God. He didn't believe that the world ever spun out of control. No, everything that takes place takes place under the eye of a God who foreordains whatsoever comes to pass uh, for his glory and the good of his people, and that includes the loss of life in his missionary family. And here's what he told grieving missionaries who had lost spouses, who had lost children. He said, under no circumstances whatsoever are you to go into a Chinese court and seek compensation for the loss of life and the loss of property. You're to preach the gospel. You're to love your enemies. And even if the Chinese government comes to you and offers you compensation, you're to turn them down. The gospel comes first. And is it any surprise that there was a great renewing movement that took place among the missionaries of China Inland Mission? They became more powerful in their speaking, more loving in their behavior, and great uh, revival broke out at that time in China. And that's what we expect 
as we correct opponents, not with a harshness, but with a gentleness, a gentleness that invites people to come and to hear the gospel of a loving Savior who's borne our sins and carried our sorrows. The servant's lifestyle. Tonight, we're listening to the words of a dying man. And that dying man's speaking to you. And he's saying, won't you hear me? Won't you hear me? Won't you hear me as I talk about the servant's Lord? And as I talk about the servant's lifestyle, and as I talk to you about the servant's longing, the servant's longing, that takes us to verse 25. What's his longing? That God may grant repentance that leads to a knowledge of the truth. Repentance and faith are the gifts of God. Therefore, elders and deacons, it's always a spiritual work that you're doing. You're praying with God uh, to uh, open blind eyes, penetrate hard hearts, and to grant to men and women the gifts of faith and repentance. Uh, your work as an elder and deacon involves much more than prayer, but it's never less than prayer for the persons that you serve. Your longing should be that of Paul, that God may grant repentance that leads to a knowledge of the truth. Now, so strong is that longing in Paul that everything else is subordinated to it. And can't you see Paul's sympathy for the lost? Sympathy for those that imprisoned him. Sympathy for those that had turned his life upside down. Sympathy for the very people that he knows are going to take his life from them. And you see his sympathy in verse 26. He yearns for them to come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Think about the word picture. When he's talking about those men and women that have caused him so much pain and anguish, uh, the word picture here is of a prey that has been drugged by its hunter, in this case, the evil one, and been taken captive to do his will. Think about it. According to Paul here, the lost are in a state of spiritual stupor and moral confusion. In their world, because they've been drugged by the evil one, a sin looks normal and righteousness looks like an aberration. Sin looks liberating. The moral obligations of the word of God look oppressively restricted. Sin looks exhilarating, and holiness looks like a dreadful burden to bear. That's what happens in a world turned upside down by the evil one. And we bring into that place. The one key that can set people free from the prison house of sin, that can restore spiritual order and beauty and light to them, and that one key is Jesus Christ. We bring Christ to men and women through the preaching of the gospel and trust that as we long for their conversion, God will enable us to see our desires fulfilled. So those of you tonight 
who are going to undertake the work of elder and deacon. Ask yourself, is your longing, is your longing to see men and women delivered from moral and spiritual confusion and set free from the prison house of sin? Paul, a dying man, won't you hear him tonight? He's speaking to you. He's speaking to your minds and hearts. Won't you hear him as he talks about the servant's Lord, the servant's lifestyle, and the servant's longing? Earlier I mentioned Henry Martin, one of the great missionaries uh, in uh, 19th century Christianity. Uh, uh, he was brought to faith under the ministry of Charles Simeon and uh, was sent out under Charles Simeon's direction to the mission field in Persia and India. Now, I doubt Henry Martin would be accepted for service by any modern missionary society. He was shy. Some of you are shy. And he found speaking for Christ intimidating. We can understand that, can't we? And then he had chronic illnesses and fatigue, and all that did was make things worse. But he believed the Lord who said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Martin arrived in Calcutta in April 1806, he would die in Turkey less than seven years later at the age of 31, but oh, what he accomplished in those seven years. He ministered the gospel to both English citizens living in India and to the indigenous population there in its own language. Hospitals were visited. Often neglected members of Indian society were cared for. Schools for Indian children were established. Uh, when given the chance, Martin, the timid and shy one, defended the gospel before Islamic and Hindu teachers and the political authorities. Uh, and in his spare time, oh, did I mention his spare time? He translated the New Testament into Hindustani and Persian uh, and then started translation projects in several other languages. Uh, such was the productivity of this weak, shy, chronically ill man who had found that God's grace is sufficient, that his power is perfected in weakness. But before leaving for Calcutta uh, to go uh, uh, to Persia, Henry Martin commissioned a portrait uh, of himself and asked that it be sent to his beloved friend and pastor, Charles Simeon. Simeon took that picture and he placed it above his fireplace in the prominent position in his study. And when visitors would come to his office, Simeon would turn and he would point to that picture and say, I see that blessed man? No one looks at me as he does. And he never takes his eyes off of me. And he seems always to be saying to me, the years are short, be serious, be in earnest, 
don't trifle, don't trifle. And Simeon would turn back to his guest and would say, I will not trifle. Men and women of Redeemer Church, you know it, I know it. The years are short, so be serious. Be in earnest in contending for the gospel in gentleness that men and women might know Christ. Be serious, be in earnest, and don't trifle, don't trifle. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And